HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to The Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. And in the studio today, finally, this is episode 121. It's been uh, it's been a few years now that I've been doing this program, and I feel like I feel like you were probably one of the first people I asked to come on the show, and it's so great to actually get you on the show. You're a, vi- a very, very busy man. And uh, so, yeah, welcome to the show, Joaquin Simo of Pouring Ribbons in New York City. I would like to thank you very much for having me on. I would additionally like to thank you for securing a... Uh a Divine Pig Products sponsor to be uh, the one who's sponsoring this show. As uh, so many people around the city knows, there's no part of that animal I will not happily consume. So this is unbelievably fitting. Thank you. Awesome. So okay, I, I remember uh, back in the day, I was working in the little whiskey shop in, in Red Hook. And uh, I met Brian Miller and Capel Tomlinson. And you and Brian Miller were in, working together at the time at Death Company. And I had never been, but Linnell Smothers had tell, she would go on and on about it. And uh, this is also back in the day when like Damon Dyer was working at Jack the Horse, you know, it, like just it was it was kind of like this were the good old days. And uh, I remember going there for my very first time to go to Death and Company. Uh, I didn't know anyone there except for Brian, but he wasn't there that night. And you were my bartender that night, <laughs> and I. So like 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 I almost cringed right after I ordered this drink because I it, like I I know what it means to order this drink but I kind of like I was there I ordered Ramos Gin Fizz <laughs> and you were just like yeah man you didn't even flinch you were just like yeah man totally let's do it and then you I mean you didn't shake it for twelve minutes but I wouldn't have expected you to anyway it was like a, it was a hot summer day and I was just like really craving one sure. and then I realized that I was probably an asshole but what do you think about that I mean like let's go let's go to the Ramachin <laughs> fishing because since we're coming up on the spring and summer I 
All right. I have kind of a mixed relationship with that drink in particular uh, because I adore it, but pretty much only before 2 or 3 p.m. I think it is the perfect brunch drink. When someone comes in and wants to order three of those at midnight on a Friday, I am baffled. It's like the very last thing that I would ever want at that hour. I get why the drink is appealing, but for me, that drink is appealing given a very specific context, and that's like daytime drinking. Just like a Bloody Mary. Exactly. Yeah. I never want one of those after it's dark out. Ever. Yeah. Ever. I don't want one after... I mean, like, I will not have a Bloody Mary after my first meal of the day. Yeah. No, that's totally Which is usually lunch. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, say, not after five. Yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) But uh, I I think that... uh, So I'm going to go ahead on air here and apologize for ordering that drink after dark. It's fine. Look. (laughs) You made it. It's good. But, uh, yeah, then you Lovely made uh, another drink for me after that. It was the Latin Quarter. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the yeah, which is the exact combo. opposite of that drink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Small, brown, and stirred, really easy. <laughs> but but still in the, the New Orleans yeah. mindset. You know? Absolutely. It's a rum Sazerac. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah I, that's that, that's where we met, and uh, I'm really glad that we got to meet that way. And especially that you didn't, like, immediately scoff, you know, <laughs> and, like, and for me. Uh, well, for, I mean, that was my list. job at Death and Company. I was supposed to be the nice one. I was working next to, like, Grumpy Phil and Old Man Miller. I mean, that was, like, <laughs> Waldorf and Statler behind the bar. I mean, I had, someone had to smile, I guess. So, yeah. you know, that was, uh, that, was, that was my job. So, of course, you know, yeah, I, yeah. happy to make that Ramos gin fits, you know. <laughs> and it was delicious, by the way. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, so, uh, you... Let's talk about pouring ribbons here for a little bit. Sure. Um, so, that, like, you left Death and Company to you weren't anywhere between Death and Company and Portland Ribs, were you? No, no, yeah. I wasn't. You went I, to- uh, yeah, I was a DNC for five and a half years, mm-hmm. uh, and then I was, I think, the last of the original staff to leave. Like, they just could not get rid of me. I clung to that place like a <laughs> barnacle. It was lovely, um, and I left. Uh, let's see. We took over the space that was then White Noise in May, the very beginning of May of 2012. Uh, I went to Tails uh, that year, and the week after Tails that year was my last three shifts at Death and Company. Uh, right when I got back, so I was able to announce from the stage at Tails that, "Hey, I'm opening this new bar this fall. You guys should come check it out. I've got three shifts left at DNC. Come harass me." And those last three shifts, as you would imagine, were oh, yeah. murder. Uh, so yeah, uh, I finished up at DNC in August of that year, and we opened up September 14th, uh, 2012. So we're about a month, uh, a year and a half in now. It's been about 18 months. Nice. Yeah. Hi, let's talk about like leaving a bar that you've been at for. For that time, like putting in that kind of tenure, it's like it's got to be really difficult to to move past, right? It's profoundly difficult to leave that bar. I mean, it's it's an amazing environment. It's an amazing stage. It is challenging. You never felt like you stopped learning there. Uh, The crew of people that I got a chance to work with was so humbling and so inspiring that leaving that, choosing to leave that. The only reason I would have left for that uh, would have been for a place that I really felt strongly about in a place that was really my own. Uh, yeah. And, you know, to this day, Death and Company is still home. You know, it's probably the bar that I will stop in casually at more than anyone else, mainly because I feel like my body is hardwired to walk <laughs> down across six between first and A anytime I'm going to or from the F train. So. I always end up at least walking past it, and then half the time I'll just stop in and make fun of whoever's working, stop in for a cheeky shot or 
you know, say something. And it's like, you know, I still get invited to menu tastings. uh, And, you know, I'm able to give some critical feedback as they're working through stuff because I'm so well-versed in what a house-style drink is there. Sure. Uh, So they still continue to invite me on that. I had some input on the book that will be coming out later this year. So, I mean, I still feel like they have, even though I left a year and a half ago, they continue to to see me as part of the family there. And I'm extraordinarily blessed because that's the worst part about leaving a job that you love that much is thinking – now I'll just be gone and forgotten, and it's nice to see that they still consider me part of the family too. Yeah, that's because really important. They're they're so much my family, and yeah. I, I love the that dark little room uh, so much. It's just uh, you know I grew a lot in that room, and um, I wouldn't be where I I wouldn't be sitting here if I w- hadn't been in that room for five and a half years. So yeah. that uh, I, I never take that for granted. Well, you'd still be sitting here. Oh, okay. Because you're just a great dude. Sweet. Hey. <laughs> but, um, so uh, so. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's really like it's hard for me to leave my bar even at the end of a shift, rather than like not you know not instead of just a, a whole like tenure there. But um, so you uh, you, you about a year and a half ago mm-hmm. open up uh, pouring ribbons yeah. and so what, okay. First of all, let's talk about the space because it's a, it's the second floor of a two story building right on Avenue B. Yep, between Thirteenth and Fourteenth. We're right above a liquor store. Uh, everyone asks where sense. like the uh, <laughs> where the fireman's pole downstairs is going to be. And it's like <laughs> I'm still waiting to see if we can get the landlord to green light that. Um, yeah, second floor bar. Uh, so you know, kind of like Pegu Club, where it's set up mm-hmm. with a very minimal street presence, which is sort of a blessing and sort of a curse uh, in both ways. It had been. A litany of bars, most of them dens of iniquity in places where uh, people generally went to make poor to bad decisions. Uh, <laughs> places like White Noise, like The Hose, uh, Uncle Ming's for a really long time. <laughs> I mean, this place was home to a lot of like really seedy, uh, kind of gloriously debauched times in the East Village for a long time. And so, of course, like we come in and we turn into this uh kind of upscale cocktail bar and the, that first month of watching the old regulars come through and just be baffled by what was going on and there was actually quite funny uh but you know some of those regulars converted to be regulars of ours and i think oh, yeah. some of that was that they used to go in there and just like have a good time and be able to always invite their friends over and we're a big enough space especially for uh, a place that's primarily known as a craft cocktail bar where for the most part, we don't have to say no when people are like, oh, can we get four more people in here? Can we do that? It's like, yeah, as long as they don't mind standing. You know I mean? We have enough room where we can allow standing. Oh, you, we have... You don't have a policy of... Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we've got... We have this big, wide room. Like, the, yeah. that's... Whenever people harp on, uh, like, formerly Milk and Honey, now Attaboy, um, PDT, Death & Co, for being elitist and not letting people stand and having all these rules, like, a lot of that came from the the physicality of those spaces, these were like super narrow rooms where if you had a bar that took up half of the available space yeah. and you had seats and a death and company, those like little black Ottomans that yeah. jut out from those tables are pretty much invisible in that pitch black room. Oh yeah. You know I mean? If you had a layer of people standing behind the bar guests, then just getting drinks back and forth behind them and around them would be much more challenging. Like PDT is even narrower. Yeah. You know, so those spaces had the, a lot of those rules due to necessity and not because they were trying to keep out the undesirables. You know, people would come in and be like, this place isn't packed. They're like, yeah, because where the hell would you put people? We have a much wider room. Yeah. You know, we have a much bigger, longer, wider room. And that's given us a lot of flexibility with having standing room, with having 
just drink pearls where people can go and hang out and do that. Uh, and I'm happy for it because I like that buzz. You know, the thing about seating only bars is that it makes it very hard to meet people there. And while we always joke that Death and Company may have been one of the best date bars in all of the world, that we probably had more like key first, third dates, and maybe engagements <laughs> than most bars had any right to. I don't think anyone ever picked anyone up there. Like, because anytime no, someone would go up to like hit on the two cute girls who were sitting at the bar, like you'd have a server or a bartender or a host coming over, salting game. Like that was their job. <laughs> You're like, I'm sorry, sir, you have to go back to your seat. It's like sometimes that spared the girls from being hit on by people they didn't want to, but sometimes they wanted to talk to homeboy, yeah. and <laughs> we had to send him back to you know table seven where they were just gazed forlornly at each other oh, and probably man. go meet at the Cherry Tavern after. Yeah, and it was like fuck. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, it's nice to have a place where people can walk up and meet people. And so I like that, you know, a bigger room allows for a certain level of conviviality. Yeah. And so I think that that was one of the key considerations that we had when um, when looking at the space. But obviously, it's a big room. And so you sacrifice some intimacy and it takes more guests in there to really kind of achieve that level like that that party buzz feel yeah. in a room. So, you know, I, it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, I think the layout of the place um, is really cool because you've got, like, the kind of... It's almost split into, like, a bar room and then, like, a... For lack of a better term, like, a dining room, like, seating room area. Yeah. Like, by the windows in the front, mm -hmm. you know, so you can actually have, like, larger parties that probably don't want to be, like, in the buzzy, like, bar right. area. And then, like, you've got the bar. So, but another thing I really like about the place is the... the I, I went to school for graphic design, like just, uh, like color study and all that stuff. Yep, and like, yep. So, like, hot colors uh, really, like, stimulate your appetite, mm -hmm. you know? That's why, like, McDonald's and Wendy's and, like, yeah, Taco sure. Bell have, like, <laughs> yellow and red and, and, and yep. orange. Uh, but cool colors, like, calm you down and, like, yeah. keep you hanging around. That's why a lot of, like, uh, for instance, grocery stores have cooler colors. Right. greens and blues to make you slow down and shop more you know <laughs> so this is gonna sound weird but i really like the i love the colors you've got a lot of like cool colors you got blues and and like greens yep. and the floor is really cool it's yeah like this kind of faded blue out blue yep wood you know but to me i really i really like that because when i go there i want to like hang out and chill out and like just act, yeah just chill the fuck out man because yeah. like you know, already already run around too much, you know, and <laughs> and plus, like uh, speaking of uh, the blues and greens, uh, especially the greens, you guys have like this entire menu of vintage chartreuse. Yeah, and so like we the, like green. Yeah, you like green. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so just by virtue of the same, the like the color and uh, the vibe of the room, and like I like to chill out, especially with chartreuse, the liqueur, mm -hmm. like. I like to sit there and just hang out and yeah. sip on chartreuse. It's a comfortable room. And I think, uh, I mean, we, we worked with a wonderful design firm called Warren Red. And uh, Dieter Cartwright was a guy who kind of did a lot of the room design stuff. And Jonathan McElroy was the, was the graphic specialist in that. So we work with Jonathan on the menu layout and the matrix and all of that. And we work with Dieter. And he would show us, I mean, we did, went through... Th dozens of like mood boards and samples and look at this and he would kind of study what we reacted to but they also looked at what we were wearing to the meetings you know and they looked at a lot of that and then what ended up happening was i ended up with a bar that was largely uh like shades of blue with occasional pops of uh of orange and a lot of gray 
and you know a lot of kind of traditional fabrics and kind of things like that. And I was like, oh yeah, they are pretty much looking exactly at what I'm wearing. <laughs> like you could stand mo- against the wall and disappear. I, I just disappear <laughs> into the space. And it was like it was really funny because they took a lot of their cues not only from the the images that we responded to, but but what were we you know, telling them about our kind of sartorial and aesthetic sensibilities simply by how we were presenting ourselves to them in the meetings. And so we had a really interesting time with that. Uh, The Chartreuse Collection was put together by my partner, Troy Seidel, uh, who kind of went down that rabbit hole after a trip to the office in Chicago where he got tasted on a couple of old bottles of Chartreuse. And uh, Troy has yet to emerge from that rabbit hole. Uh, He is (laughs) lost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's lost in the ether somewhere. I think he's on 122 of the 130 herbs uh, in Chartreuse. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. He's he's lost somewhere in that. And it's a a very happy place to be (laughs) lost in. Uh, but we're very proud to offer that. I mean, I know it was it was a challenging thing to kind of present to guests. Like, oh, here's this weird liqueur that's been made by French monks for a few hundred years. You should drink really expensive old versions of this. And actually, shockingly, <laughs> the reaction has been very good. It's amazing. And yeah, we've we've uh, kind of the way we've priced everything of it, making it available by the half ounce makes uh, even having tastes of something more accessible, uh, which has been nice. And I think taking something that's been largely seen as either an after-dinner drink or a modifier in Dusty Classics and elevating it to its own status uh, was a bold move, but it served to differentiate us well. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, it's delicious monk juice. What's wrong with that? Not not anything that I've ever come across. (laughs) Let's take a quick break, and uh, then we'll continue talking about the... the, I'd love to talk about the, the way that you guys have set up the the flow of the bar and the okay. way that you guys approach the the staff moving around there. All right. All right back in a second with Joaquin Simo. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. That was some very emotional harmonica playing in that song. <laughs> Jack, who was that? That is The Hollows, band called The Hollows. I mean, ham's emotional, man, you know? Dude, that's amazing. It's country <laughs> ham. I love it. Oh, dude, ham is emotional. Yeah. I get very emotional I get very when emotional. I eat ham. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that was the hardest part about 
giving up drinking for January, which I try to do after the holidays, is like having a really good piece of ham and then not being able to have sherry with it. I'm like, oh, God, it wounds me so much. <laughs> like, okay, you can take staff shots without me. That's fine. But like no sherry with ham? I'm like, I feel uh, less dude. than. Yeah. You know, I actually, I find, it, I find it really interesting about how like sherry has come back around into play. And I think probably stronger than ever, really. You know, like over the last like five years. It's like edging its way back into the spotlight with like not just it, it came through with cocktails, but then also like there's so much more awareness of sherry and and just just drinking it straight and like the traditional stuff. Yeah, no, I love it. I'm couldn't be happier about it. And you have like down in DC, you have Chantel who's running uh, Mockingbird Hill, which has like 50 sherries mm-hmm. available by the glass in East Village. Terroir has been pushing. They were actually so giving it away. Yeah, they had a free sherry happy hour. They would give you a glass of sherry free. I think now they're charging like two or three dollars for yeah. it, but it's still more or less free. And they can still not. I mean, it's still people don't think about going there. Yeah. Donostia has a really nice sherry selection in these villages as well. And you're like, why aren't more people housing this? Like, you just, I I buy sherry incessantly. This yeah. is like all I want to drink at home. Yeah. It's it's one of the, I feel the same way. Like, before the break, we were talking about chartreuse and just mm-hmm. like hanging out with it and kind of like, there's like this contemplation. They do. They just like chilled out, like vibe that I get from churchers. You just like sit there and sip it, and just hang out, and just you know, really take a step back, you know. And I feel the same way about sherry. Yeah. You know? Although the sherry hangover is far better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but you're talking about seventy proof difference. Yeah. Much. <laughs> oh, pretty significant there. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Toby Maloney was credited with calling the sh- uh, the chartreuse hangover the charmoose because it was like a moose was sitting on your head, crushing it. It was like, oh god, so much sugar. But you know, this is of course when what happens when a couple bartenders go out and consume, say, a bottle of chartreuse between them or individually. Chartreuse bottle probably service. Wow. Not, not, not ideal. Club. Yeah, yeah. It's like. Uh, Sometimes questionable decisions get made after midnight, <laughs> shockingly enough. No way. Yeah, really? I know. That's eh, a weird thing. I figured I should probably bring that up for your audience. It's probably never <laughs> been brought up on this show before. Yeah, but I, I don't think anyone's ever, <laughs> that listens to my show, has ever stayed up past midnight. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, not that they remembered. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, uh, well, actually, like, speaking of, like, Toby and you guys, uh, Toby was actually, funnily enough, he was on the show, like, I don't know, maybe a year ago. And uh, uh, it was a phone interview, and he happened to be, like, two blocks away. <laughs> yeah, he lives in Williamsburg. Yeah. It's right around. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Okay. But uh, but speaking of the staff, um, yeah. you guys do something that's really cool. You guys actually rotate throughout the positions uh, of of the bar. So, mm-hmm. like, one night you might host. One night you're a bartender. One night you're a server, right? Yeah, I think what, really what we've done is we've kept the front of the house positions fairly fluid. And that was part of the um, the interview process. And that was a way to kind of, like, cull candidates as well. You know, if you tell someone who's coming to you saying, like, I have a cocktail blog and I've created this many individual cocktails and they're wearing arm garters to the interview. You know, and you tell them, like, yeah, yeah you're going to have to work the floor and you watch them bristle. Yeah. When you say that, then you're like, yeah, I don't need this, like, wannabe star tender as part of my staff. Yeah. Like, this is not an ego trip. This is about serving the guests. And yeah. if you are if you have an issue with carrying a tray, if you think that makes you less than, then I don't need you to be part of the staff. And it was a good way to kind of uh, cull a lot of that out of the staff. And so we were able to put together an extraordinarily strong team. And 18 months I've had 
We lost one guy very early on, um, but that was, uh, I think, a mutually decided upon kind of like workplace culture, like mismatch. And he still continues to come in. He's still a friend. We love him. Uh, but we've lost two employees in 18 months. That's amazing. Which is a really good retention rate for this industry. And I think a lot of that has had to do with the fact that everyone gets treated equally. Um, the staff, especially uh, the first year, I think uh, I think we took a much bigger role in kind of guiding the menu and the drinks were largely, you know, those of the partners and we were putting it. But that was because we had to establish a house style, you know, and I yeah. really wanted to figure out what is a pouring ribbons drink? What does that mean? You know, and how are we going to, how does that translate? And how is that different from being a death and co-drink? How is that different from being something else? So uh, it took a little while for us to kind of establish that house style. And then once we did, we really opened it up to the staff because we had great staff members, some of whom who had worked in craft cocktail bars before, some of whom hadn't. We hired from all around uh, the country, from Minneapolis, from Chicago, from Portland, from San Francisco. So we brought together a lot, I mean, from Queens. I mean, we weren't really far out. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we brought together people from all over the place. And uh, then now these last few menus, the staff has had a lot more contributions to go on these menus where, like, I thankfully only had to put a few drinks on the current menu, <laughs> which we launched on Monday. And it's like, oh, my God, thank God. I, only re- I was only responsible for three or four of these. Like, score. Like, yeah, nice. making my life so much easier and it gives them uh ownership of the menu so yeah, if someone says important. oh are any of these drinks yours they can proudly point to a couple of Absolutely. those and say oh yeah it's one of mine uh and that's a huge thing but it's also about like teaching someone how when a drink is menu worthy you know like does someone want five of these yeah you know is there yeah. is there something so compelling about this drink that maybe they won't drink five in a row but they'll come back five straight fridays to have one of these they will compel their friends to come and and do this like and that's the whole thing like is it a perfectly acceptable sour or is this something that is memorable and what the difference is between those and when to use one versus the other right. uh so building the staff in terms of their uh ability to recognize when one thing has achieved that yeah uh was big but a lot of it was also like democratizing it you know i i, I didn't want someone to go to pouring ribbons and say, oh, would you tell the mixologist that I like, you know, X, Y, and Z? And, you know, like, actually this person who's, you know, carrying a tray and taking your order can answer every one of your questions just as intelligently as whoever's behind the bar because if you come here tomorrow night, they'll be behind the bar and the guy who you're calling this goofy title is going to be the one holding the tray, having this conversation with you, and you realize it's all meaningless. Yeah. They're staff. And, you know, everyone should be able to answer these questions and everyone should be able to guide you to the right point. And that's where, you know, it really comes down to is cocktail bars make most of their money on the floor and yet the bar gets fetishized. Yeah. And it's a, you know, you've got to stop pretending that servers are second class citizens, both Mm -hmm. as operators and as guests, because servers are the ones who are making the bulk of the sales and they need to be just as trained up. All of, you know, our entire staff sits in and weighs in on cocktail trainings. And when I'm coming up with recipes, the first thing I do is do two or three versions, blind taste the staff on them. I don't tell them what's different about it. And I just wanted honest opinions. Which do you like? Why? Yeah. And we go from there. Half the time, it's not the one that I would have liked. 
you know, but if the entire staff seems to like this version more, I'm like, ah, my palate's a little weird. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. You know, and they're like, I, I think if as long as they're objectively Maybe balanced, I had too much ham and sherry last yeah, night. Possibly, right. you know? <laughs> but, you know, I, I think if, if you're creating drinks that are objectively balanced, and from there, it's all preference. And some of it is, I think I could sell more of this. Then sometimes you have to think, well, I think this weirder version is cooler. Maybe that's not the one you want on your menu. Maybe that's the one that you kind of keep in your back pocket for when your bartender friends show up and they want that thing that's weird. And you make that substitution on the fly. But for the most part, you would try to pick the one that has a consensus most appeal. But kind of the way we've laid out the menu on that graph between spiritist to refreshing and comforting to adventurous gives us a lot of flexibility mm-hmm. with that and that's and that whole graph layout was basically born out of the questions that you would ever talk to a guest about anyway like you want something boozy or do you want something citrusy yeah you know like, shaking yeah exactly it's, it's this is exactly a conversation we've had a million times we just basically had it laid out in a graph so right. yeah if someone doesn't know what a genepi is or a gentian or whatever like they're not supposed to. They just want to get drunk. <laughs> they, they, they don't need to know about obscure French things. Like that's cool. That's our job. Here, look, it's all on a graph. Point. <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Man. Yeah, it's worked out. I think it's really cool that that you've like going back to the whole thing about like you know like kind of like de-romanticizing the uh, the role of the 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 goofy nickname the mixologist. You know, like and and putting it into terms where it's like, all right, guys, everyone in this room is here for a reason, and Everyone that's that works here knows this, you know. Yeah, you know. The, you could clear. ask the host about you know the the history of Chartreuse, about the Carthusian monastery. You know, just like they sit in on the trainings. Everyone yeah. does, you know, and that's the totally. whole point. And you know, we've that's actually been one of the great things that I've seen, especially in the last couple of years. Um, uh, I know Jim Meehan has done this for a few years. Naren Young has done this uh, quite a bit. Um, where they're inviting staffs from other bars to sit in on their staff training really and kind cool. of brand things. And so we've started to do that as well, uh, where it's a great thing. You know, like some things are, you know, you don't have to invite four other bar staff to your menu tasting, but it's cool when you can get uh, someone who's going to talk about cool cognacs or mezcals or uh, rum agricole or whatever it is, and you can open that up to 30 or 40 people instead of 12. Uh, so I think that kind of shared learning experience is something that you're seeing as there's an increasing saturation uh, in the kind of craft cocktail movement. You're seeing it spread out between more casual outlets to more uh, kind of craft cocktail bars to restaurants to everything else. We're all each other's waiting rooms. And so kind of that notion of a rising tide lifts all ships we're, you know, everyone's kind of, everyone's less proprietary about seven. It's like, hey, yeah. you should, guys should come. You know, I've got these great people coming to talk to my staff. Would any of your staff like to come? I could probably take five people from your staff. And, you know, how do you do that? And so we're seeing that more and more and more. And I love that. I love the fact that just let's get this information out there. Like Absolutely. if someone has a great Absolutely. experience because they went to Saxon and Parole or Empeon or PDT, and they come back and they talk and we're like, oh, yeah, we were at that tasting. We did, you know, we, we know those ingredients, too, and we offer them as well or, or we can talk about them. Or if you like that, then we have something similar and it's yeah. this. Then that's just better for everyone, you know. And it's like we're always we're, – we're all neighbors. We're not competitors. Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that because that's one of the things I think about so much, and especially with uh, – especially – the, the part of town where your bar is and the bars that you've worked at before, it's like 
it's just such a community driven amazing experience to 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 work in and go to and visit these great cocktail bars and like call it i always say it's a Call it cocktail bar. Cocktail bar is kind of like a restaurant, a food restaurant. It's yeah. like just kind of redundant, but it's great bars. It was great people and great uh, atmosphere mm-hmm. and that energy of. I really like the idea. I think I'm, I'm doing a menu change soon, so I'm probably. Gonna, I would love for you to come by and taste some stuff. Yeah, you know? true. Hey, I mean, I'm in the hood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I live uh, very close by. I think it's. Uh, I think it's also a testament to the uh, the boomerang. You know, it's like uh, the, you know, you're talking about the other people like uh, that that neighborhood that, that your bar is. Erica when I got published in the Times. That's so good. <laughs> Unattributed. <laughs> no one wanted a cop to it. <laughs> that was great. I mean, but again, that uh, something like the boomerang serves a variety of functions. One, you're obviously sending it to the staff of another bar to take a cheeky shot, mm-hmm. you know, and and it not come out of their own bar's poor costs, and therefore not incurring the wrath of wh- whoever the manager on duty is. <laughs> uh, but a lot of it is also about marking the guest who brings it. Yeah. You know, and especially when you're looking at 40, 50 seat cocktail bars, if someone is showing up with a shot, you know, with a inflated rubber glove with something some, some uh, welcomingly yeah. profane <laughs> scrawled on it, um, then they know, like, okay, you know, this staff like who we trust sent this person with this, and maybe I should prioritize them. And yeah. maybe they should be able to get in a little sooner. Maybe we should. You know, pay attention because maybe they're industry from out of town. Maybe they're just great bar guests. You know, maybe yeah. they really took care of the staff there, like for whatever reason. And that's a great way to kind of mark and flag guests as well. And so we use that uh, not only just to kind of say hi to our friends, but also to flag certain guests to our friends, uh, you know, especially when they're just uh, people who would otherwise be unknown uh, there. And this it, it allows them to kind of kind of pay a little bit more attention to them and uh, make hopefully continue to make their experience in yet another New York bar all the more special. And that's a beautiful yeah. thing about traveling is when you go somewhere and you come away with a great story. And, yeah. you know, it's a cool thing to go back to Copenhagen and say, yeah, I ferried this, you know, shot glass with a, <laughs> with a glove coming out of it with a message scrawled on it, you know, from one bar to another. I took it to the Dead Rabbit or I took it to Death & Co or I took it to EO or whatever. Yeah. It was like... I, I don't know why, but it got me in, and you know, like that's that's a good story. You know, so you can good. tell that one for a while, and it's fun. And you know, then then you probably got to take part in that shot too. And yep. life was good. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And life is good, man. And I'm so I'm so glad that you uh, you got your spot rocking and rolling, man. And I I love going there, and I, I can't wait to come back again. I was uh, I was going to pop in uh, a couple weeks ago with uh, Tiki Adam. On his orgeat delivery, but uh, we had just been oh, upstate, yeah. so I was like, I'm just going to stay in the car. <laughs> uh, Shannon was working, so I probably should have come in and said hi. Yeah, but, oh, she's pretty exceptional. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, absolutely. Well, come on by. We just yeah, put man. out a new menu on Monday. Um, all 15 house drinks are new. We updated all, updated or changed out all 15 of the classics, so it's the biggest menu change we've done so far as nice. everything got uh, either changed or updated, so... A lot of new stuff to drink your way through. Nice. Yeah, it's good stuff. Can't wait to. Uh, Joaquin, thank you too, so much for brother. coming on the show. Always man. such a pleasure. And uh, come back, uh, you know, anytime you feel like. <laughs> uh, I'd be happy to. All right, that's Get it for the pizza. speakeasy this week. All right, <laughs> cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 